0: From Parkway Church in Kurana, this is the Parkway Podcast. Our prayer is that this message blesses and encourages you today as you listen. If you would like to know more information on who we are as a church, you can visit our website, weareparkway.com. If you have a Bible, turn to Mark chapter 8. We're going to be in verses 14 uh, through 21. So you've got a Bible, you can turn there in a moment and be on the screen. But I have a, I have a thought for you this morning. Have you, ever, have you ever considered how the smallest things have the greatest impact in your life? Like it's not the biggest things, although sometimes big things do impact, but it's often the small things that can make a world of a difference. Like you, you're just going about your day and you get a smile from someone and it just changes your day. You don't even have to know them. It just changes your day. Or you put on that old pair of pants that you haven't put on in a while and you put your hand in the pocket and you find a $20 bill and you're just like, wow, this is great. This is fantastic. Or you get that small gesture of support by someone who just sends you a text message just to say, I'm just thinking about you. You know, that, that, that small thing makes a huge difference. You know, in our, in our house, we have, we have four birthdays in less than seven weeks' time. So it's, it's crazy time for us. It's crazy town in that time. And we just came through it all, like this past week, week ago. And the last birthday was Joshua's birthday. He's five years old, and it was on the 22nd. And someone randomly came to the house. I think it was a couple days after. Came to the house to give him a gift that he had no idea was coming. And he was beside himself. He was absolutely beside himself. Here's this little five-year-old kid who's running around our lawn with this present in hand going, wow, 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 thank you, thank you, thank you, because he just had no idea. This small thing became so impactful for him. But the other side is true as well, right? It's not always the good th- small things. Sometimes it's the bad things that have an impact. Maybe instead of getting a smile, you get called a name. You get a text message that just sets you off the wrong way. Or maybe you lose the $20 bill that's in your pocket, right? The smallest things have incredibly big impact. And I want to look at a text today where Jesus mentions a really small thing that can grow into a really big thing and have very large impact in our character, in our faith, and in those around us. And so we're back in the book of Mark. And just to back step a bit for those of you who are aware we've been looking and journeying through the book of mark for some time and and we've been taking detours just like on a road trip sometimes you got a destination in mind but on that journey you take a detour and you go somewhere so we've been taking some detours but we're back in back in today and some of you might be asking why are we still in mark well well for a couple reasons one we've committed to it so we're going to see through it but I think it's so important to go through, through books of the Bible every so often because, it, one, it gives us a greater understanding of, of the Scriptures as a whole. It forces people like me to make sure I teach on the topics in the Scripture, not just the things I like to talk about. Because then sometimes you get to a text, you're like, oh, that's a tough one, but i gotta, I got to preach the whole uh, counsel of God. Um, but when we go through a gospel like Mark, it gives us a, a bigger picture, if you've been with us the whole time gives us a bigger picture of the story of Jesus and the person of Jesus, and it's really important for our our faith. So Mark is just some information about Mark, for those of you who have not been with us for this journey, Mark is one of the Gospels in the New Testament, said to be the first Gospel that was ever written in 55 and 65. So you want to think about 25 to 35 years after Jesus died, right? And Mark is said to be a disciple of Peter, And he took Peter's eyewitness accounts and Peter's memories, and he shaped them and formulated them into the gospel that we have today. But he didn't do it just willy-nilly. He didn't just throw it all together. But scholars believe that he carefully crafted it in such a way to answer the question, who is Jesus, and is he, in fact, the uh, the Jewish Messiah? Mark also... Um, writes to um, a non-Jewish audience. He's writing to Roman and Gentile believers, so people like you and me, people who are not of Jewish background. So he's, he's trying to address the question, is Jesus the Jewish Messiah to people who are not Jewish? And that's really an important question for us today. The, ter- the term Messiah, in case you don't know, it's a, it's, a, it's a royal figure who the Israelites believed would come at some point and overthrow all oppression and set up an earthly kingdom and rule as king. right, so they had this expectation that a a Messiah, that a king would come and set up that kingdom. Now, during the time of Jesus, um, the Israelites, the Jewish people, were under Roman oppression. And so they had high hopes that, that a Messiah would come, sometimes referred to as the Son of Man or the Son of God, and overthrow Roman oppression, overthrow Roman rule, and set up his kingdom. Now, the question is Jesus the Messiah is really a good question Uh, for us today as well. Do, Do we believe that Jesus is the Messiah? Who is this man who's garnered billions of followers on the planet, who's changed the course of history, our very calendar, our years are based after his birth? Who is this man? Is he the Jewish Messiah? And do we believe in him? Now, the first half of the book of Mark, basically up until where we are today, scholars believe is written to address the question, Um, who is jesus and then there's this turning point um, section of it which we're going to look at next week if you look at all the book of mark um, that turning point scripture that's turning point text is really the key and that's next week and then the latter half of mark from from chapters basically a latter half of nine or eight all the way to to 16 answers the question how did he become the messianic king So we're in the book of, uh, we're in chapter 8, and just before here, so Jesus shows up on the scene, right? You know, he gets baptized by John the Baptist, you know, God announces from the heavens that he's his son, and then he goes off and he does ministry, like he performs miracles, and he's teaching people, and um, people are excited, and then there's this religious group that's really opposed to Jesus, because they feel like he's stepping on their scene, and then in Mark chapter 8, where we are today, a lot of backstory, but it's important for you, in Mark chapter 8, where we are today, Jesus just finished feeding the Four thousand people. So there's two instances where Jesus feeds thousands of people. He feeds the 4,000 people. He gets into a boat. They go to the other side and he encounters another um, uh, group of Pharisees and and faces opposition. And then he has this interaction with his disciples, where we are today Mark chapter 8. We're going to start at verse 14. So the disciples had forgotten to bring bread except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. They discussed with one another and said, Is it because we have no bread? Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked, Why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you, not, do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000? How many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? They answered, seven. He said to them, do you still not understand? So Jesus uses this everyday moment with his disciples after this interaction with the Pharisees to teach them a simple yet powerful truth. He says, be careful and watch out. Now, whenever you see that in the scripture, whenever you see that double warning there, it means pay attention. This is serious. It's like the parent telling the kid a few times, like, come on, this is important. Pay attention. Look at me. Look at me. That's why I say to my kid. I'm like, look look, look me in the eye. You know, look, look at me. Stop. And I have to turn their head. Be careful. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and the yeast of Herod. And the disciples being the incredibly smart people they are, they start saying, is it because we have no bread? Like, did it, is, he's mad at us. No, he doesn't like the Pharisees because they have the yeast that doesn't work. Remember, they always sell that yeast that doesn't work. And Jesus is like, come on, are you not getting it? I, I do not understand. Oh, he's speaking figuratively. Whenever the Bible talks about yeast, it's not talking about yeast. Yeast is, for those of you who don't know, yeast is a very, very, very small thing that's used in baking bread to help bread rise, right? It's a leavening compound. So, so when you see bread that's big, that's because yeast has been poured out all through in it, right? And so he's saying, be careful of the small thing, the yeast of, of Herod and the Pharisees, because they can spread like wild. Now, what is by the what does he mean by yeast? He's talking about the ways and the teachings and the inclinations of the heart and the perspective and the values and the the things that we can't see, the tendencies that start small, but they can grow and rise up in us. He's saying be careful for the yeast, the attitudes, the ways, the tendencies of the Pharisees and that of Herod, because a little bit, a little bit that gets in you is going to spread. A little bit that gets in you is going to spread. Now, first century... Um, Yeast was very expensive, unlike today. So anyone that would bake bread, uh, what they would do is they'd buy a little bit of yeast and they'd they'd make a batch, but before they would cook it, they'd put the yeast in it and they'd let it spread and they'd let it rise up and then they'd take a little piece out of that and they'd set it aside. And then they'd cook the bread. And then what they would do is the next time that they would go to make a batch, they'd make a batch and they'd take that little piece and they'd put it in there and the yeast would spread. And then they'd do the same thing. Before they'd cook it, they'd take a piece out. And they'd keep doing this and doing this because it would save on purchasing more yeast. Apparently, you can, you can find really old bakeries today that still do this, that have a yeast that they're using from decades and decades ago. They just keep going through this motion. So Jesus is saying, be careful and watch out because there's things that the Pharisees do. There's these little tendencies. There's these views. There's these perspectives that can get in you and can spread and can be passed on. It can be passed on to those around you. It can be passed on to young generations. And it's the culture that you lived in that you thought was normal, that you grew up in. It's your inherited version of, of religion. It's, it's the way that you think about church and faith topics that may not line up with the Bible, but, but you're kind of okay with anyway. It's the business deal that is a little gray, but not really gray. It's actually really more white than it is black, so it's okay. It's the casual joking and gossiping that you do with coworkers at work. It's it's the way you talk about your spouse with others when your spouse isn't around that you don't think is, is a big deal. In fact, you think is harmless. These little things that can get inside of us just like yeast that can spread. Now, I thought about bringing some yeast today, but you wouldn't be able to see it because it was so small. I actually thought about getting a pitcher of yeast to scale. What I could just do is put up a. a a white screen and say it's on there because you wouldn't be able to see it because it's so small. It's so small, but it spreads. Be careful, what's in your bread? It's the little things that, unbeknown to you, infect, infect your character and infect your faith. So, what I want to do is I want to look at I want to look at two things the Pharisees do that acts like that yeast that can get in us, and then I want to look at a thing that Herod does. So, the Pharisees they were a religious sect in the first century. And they were the main group that opposed jesus they were pious and devoted religious people like we often think of people that are when we if you grew up in church or you've been in church long enough you think of pharisee you think of arrogant you think of hypocrite but but people wouldn't have thought that in in their in jesus time before jesus came and started you know speaking against them they would have just thought they were the religious people they were the churchgoers right? They, they believed that they could fulfill God's law to be holy because he is holy, as the scriptures tell us, by creating this community that was devoted to purity and, and tithing and fasting and separating themselves from anything unclean. Does that sound familiar to you? Kind of sounds like a church to me. Right? They, they, they tried to separate themselves from anything that they considered unclean or unholy, and that's actually where their hypocrisy really began. See, in order to follow the, the laws of God, what they do is they would set up fences and walls, and I've shared this before, walls around the laws in order to make sure they didn't break the laws themselves. And these were rules, and these were traditions that they did, and and they passed these down orally generation after generation after generation after generation until it got to the place where they believed that these laws, these rules, and these traditions that that they put around the laws of God were superior to them than the laws of God themselves. And they began to see themselves as superior. They began to see themselves as elite. And one of the things that they did that, that, that becomes like a yeast that can get into our heart is they had a high view of self and they had a low view of others. They had a very high view of self and a low view of others. And in an attempt to be separate and holy, they they started to begin to see themselves as these religious elites. They began to see themselves as better than those around them. And we do this thing all the time. Say, no, I don't. Yes, we do. When you say, you know, I can't believe that they would wear that to church. Can't believe the pastor's wearing ripped jeans in church. On the pulpit. If I was a pastor, I would never. Nobody says that here, right? (laughs) I won't wear ripped jeans next time. Yes, I will. I'll wear more. I'll wear three pairs. We say things like, I can't believe they'd let their children do that. Oh, if I was in that position, I would do this instead. Right? And we create this dividing line between us and them where us becomes better and we begin to look uh, down on others. This is, this is what Jesus referred to as, as judgment, as hypocritical judgment. And then he tells a story in Luke chapter 18 speaking to this group of Pharisees, um, which is really good to illustrate this point. He says this in verse nine, to some who were confident of their own righteousness. So, so people who were confident and assured that, hey, I'm good. What I'm doing and following all these rules, I'm good and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. I thank you I'm not like other people, robbers and evildoers and adulterers or even this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all that I get. Now, what do you see in this story? Like, if you read this before, you hear me, what do you see? You see pride, right? We see arrogance. We see, we see self-righteousness. But do you see yourself? Like, we always read this kind of a text. We always read this through the lens of someone that's speaking obnoxiously, right? Arrogant, conceited, puffed up, full of himself. And that may be, but what if it was a little bit more subtle? Like, what if this Pharisee genuinely believed that he was better, which he did? What if it was subtle? What if he's like, God, I thank you. I thank you that I'm not like those that are struggling with addiction. I thank you that I can wear nice clothes to church. I thank you that I drive a little bit of a better car. I thank you that I tithe everything. I even tithe off of my spices. I tithe off of my flour. I tithe off of my yeast. I tithe off everything. I thank you that I'm not like all these other people. What if it was a little bit more subtle? It's hypocritical judgment. See, what they're doing is they're comparing themselves to others and this is what you and I do all the time. We compare ourselves against someone else. And often what we do is there's two people involved, right, that we compare ourselves to. There's always one that's better that we aspire to be like. We say, man, I'm not like them. I wish I was like them. I wish I had the talents and the gifts and they had, and then we begin to feel really bad about ourselves. But then we also compare to someone that's lower than us. At least I'm not like them. At least I don't struggle with that. I don't have that. Right? It's hypocritical judgment. You know, the only person that we should be comparing ourselves to, not each other, is Jesus. He's the only one that we should be comparing ourselves to. Because what you and I do is what we, we, we see the brokenness in someone else, but we don't see the brokenness in ourselves. We see what others are struggling with and the sin that others are involved in, and we say, oh my goodness, but we don't see the sin that's in ourselves. Right? It's what Jesus talked about, if you remember the story, when he talked about the speck in someone else's eye and the plank in your own. He's like, he's like, stop looking at the speck. We're po- I can't believe it. you see that speck. It's brown, it's dirty, it's terrible. Ugh. And Jesus is like, you got a giant log in your own face. You got a tree sticking out of your eye. Take the tree out. And then you could see a little clearer and you recognize, oh, wait a second. That's not as bad as what I had. I'd rather have the speck than the log, my tree face, right? We look at others with this judgment. And what that is, this high view of self, it's the beginning of this root of pride. And when those small things get inside of us, they grow into to excess until we have an excessive view. And that is just pride. And I talked about this a few weeks ago. Pride is the upstream sin that most sins flow from. We struggle with other sin often because there's somewhere in us um, pride. Right? Pride is what made Satan, Satan. It's what made Satan be cast out of heaven because he wanted to be like God. He thought, Oh, I could do what you do. I think I got enough gifts and talents and, and abilities to do what you have seen how you lead and serve. I could do that. That's what, that's what happened to Satan. Someone once said this: that that pride is the complete anti-God state of mind. Because the higher view you have of yourself, the less you believe you need Jesus. The more I think I'm somebody and I have it together, and I'm good, the less I think I need Jesus. Galatians chapter six, Paul the apostle said this. He said, if anyone thinks they are something when they're not, they deceive themselves. If you think about that that word deceive, right, it's usually we think in the context of someone deceiving someone else. They're lying to me, they're, they're fabricating the truth, right? When we deceive ourselves, do you know what happens? Is we think we're right when we're actually wrong. We think we're right. We've deceived ourselves. I'm something when I'm not. I think I'm right, but I'm wrong. And do you know what you say? Well, that's not me. I'm fine. I'm okay. I don't know how many prayer times I've been involved in this, and then we go around prayer requests, and people are like, no, nah, I'm good. You have nothing that you need prayer about? Nothing at all. And I say that. I've, I said that like two weeks ago. I was in a, in a meeting with pastors, and they're going around. I'm like, I don't really... I really have a thousand things I could pray about. I'm good. I'm good. I'm not like these other people. See, the problem with a high view of self and a low view of others is not a godly trait. It's not the nature of Jesus. In Philippians chapter two, we read about Jesus who being in the very nature God did what? He made himself nothing. He took on on a low position of a servant. It says this in Philippians chapter two, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. And again, we read that with arrogance. We read that thinking that that's someone that's very conceited, right? But maybe it's just like ambition. He says, do nothing out of ambition and and conceit, but rather in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In In other words, he's saying, don't pursue stuff for you, pursue it for others, Don't seek after things for yourself, but seek after things for others. And he goes on to say this. He says, in your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. That is Jesus. That is God. The one person who can have it all says, I'm going to make myself nothing for everybody else. So what is the antidote to this high view of self and this low view of others? It's recognizing that your sin required Jesus to die on the cross. Your speck, your small thing. And we often, we often compare, right? We say, well, do you know what? My, my stealing isn't as big as some. I didn't rob a bank. It's not like I robbed a bank, right? Come on. It's not like I stole a car. I just pirated a movie off the internet. It's not like I cheated on my spouse. Come on, it's just an image on a screen. It's not like I'm watching porn. I'm just, it's just a lustful thought. Your lustful thought, your pirated movie, your every little thing required Jesus to die on the cross. Do you know what that tells me? You ain't better than anybody else. None of us are better than anybody else. And so when we start to recognize, hey, I, my sin required Jesus to die on the cross, we begin to realize I'm nothing. We begin to not to, I don't, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking about yourself less. You begin to recognize no one's better than you and you ain't better than anybody else because you required Jesus to die on the cross. So in Luke chapter 18, Jesus continued the story and said, but the tax collector, the other guy in the parable, stood at a distance He wouldn't even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and said, "'God, have mercy on me, because I'm a sinner.'" I'm a sinner. Do you know what's interesting is Jesus actually talks, says that that man went away justified, but if we were to compare the sin of the two, the tax collector who cheated you know, a little bit, like he he took a little extra, it's like the insurance company maybe, right? Compared to the prideful hypocrite that actually sent Jesus to the cross, like the tax collector's sin was less, in my opinion, but he's the one that says, help me, mercy. Second that the Pharisees did is they were withdrawn from the world. The word uh, Pharisee actually means separatist. So Pharisees, this religious group, would actually run from hurting people. They'd run from broken people. They didn't want to go near anybody that they considered unclean. In fact, they were disgusted by They had such a high view of their self that they were disgusted by anybody that was considered a sinner. And so what they began to do is they began to separate themselves from anything that was unholy or secular. I don't know about you, um, maybe some of you are like me, but I grew up in the church in the 90s. And in the church in the 90s, there were things that you couldn't do because we considered them to be worldly or ungodly, like dances. I couldn't go to dances as a kid, right? Because dancing, you know what I'm talking about. Da- dancing's wrong. But I'm just, we're just dancing. Yes, but it leads to sinning. Well, maybe some dancing, but we're just we're just dancing. It's like we're watching. What do you call that? We're just. It's just just dance. I'm just trying to follow the actions on the screen. That's all I'm doing, right? We couldn't do. We we couldn't listen to certain kinds of music because it was considered worldly. We had, there was actually some meetings that we were part of where we would burn CDs. We would burn CDs because it was it was it was considered ungodly. We you know and I, we definitely didn't go trick or treating. Well, I went trick or treating once in my entire life. I went trick-or-treating once and it was when my dad was at work and my mom said, okay, go. Because I was just like, mom, I'm not celebrating the devil. I just want some candy. I want free candy. I want chocolate. I want... I just want, that's all I want. And so she's like, okay, go. And so I snuck out. You know, I didn't even have a costume. I went as a pickpocket. That's what I told people. I'm a pickpocket. Because I could just dress like this and just go, right? And then I remember my dad being so mad. He was so mad at me, right? That We couldn't do trick-or-treating. Some of you grew up in a time in church when you couldn't go to movies, you couldn't go to a movie theater because that was considered ungodly. And if you were watching a movie while well, God came back, Jesus came back, you're stuck. Like, you, like you'd be taken, you'd get stuck at the, the ceiling, right? This is unholy. Do you remember a time in church we couldn't have electric guitars on the stage? You remember that? Now, this all stemmed from the holiness movement, which really sought to be more like Jesus, it was valuable and, and, and good. There's seeking to be more like Jesus and not be like the culture, right? There, there is value in that. There's, things that. there's things that I don't do and there's activities that I don't participate in. There's things I don't watch because I wanna be more like Jesus because I'm a follower of Jesus, right? But what happens is, is we can often put rules around the rules, right? We put rules and traditions around the law and we become separate from and we become more Pharisee-like than we do anything else, And what the Pharisees did is they just hid their hypocrisy. You know, we're trying to be, we were trying to be in the world, but not of the world. You Remember that saying, some of you? We want to be in the world, but not of the world. But the problem was we became of the world, but not in the world. Right? We just hid it. It was inside. We put the mask on. We put the facade that I got it all together. My family's fine. Yeah, my kids don't go trick-or-treating, but I just yelled at them all week until they cried themselves to sleep oh yeah, we're fine. We come in and we go to church every Sunday morning as a happy family. But me and my spouse, we're worlds apart. But nobody knew that because we hide it, right? It was drawn from the world. And this was the exact opposite of what Jesus did. Jesus ran to the sick. He spent time with what we call sinners. Why? Because he wanted to change them. He wanted to love on them. He wanted to show them mercy. He wanted to change culture. In fact, one time, Jesus is having a meal with people that would go to dances, right, and trick or treating. These are the people that played electric guitar back in the day. He's having a meal with some sinners and tax collectors, and the Pharisees see Jesus, and they're like, to the disciples, why does your rabbi, why does your holy man, why does your religious guy eat with those unclean sinners? And Jesus heard them, the Son of God. Let's remember who Jesus, the Son of God. Here's the religious people. And he says, really? It's not the healthy that need a doctor. It's the sick. And then he says this, he says, he's like, learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Because they were making all these sacrifices to be holy and religious, right? Jesus is like, "I, I I want you to show mercy to those who need it. I care more about you showing mercy to others than all your sacrifices. Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and the mindset that separates yourself from the culture, that severs all ties, and creates that big dividing line. Because then you know what happens? And you you might remember this phrase: we become so heavenly high that we're no earthly good. Light shines the brightest in dark places. We've been given the ministry of reconciliation. The message that Jesus came and brought and died on the cross has been given to us as believers and followers of God to share with others so that more people can come and be a part of the family of God. Charles Spurgeon said it this way, thinker, said every Christian is a missionary or an imposter. Every Christian is on mission for God or you're faking it. That's like sobering, right? Mm, Pastor, I don't like this one. You are ministers, you're missionaries, and you need to see what you do as ministry. If you are a believer in Christ and you follow Jesus, he is Lord of your life, he is savior, you've confessed your sin, you've received him, and you call yourself a Christian, you are a minister. See, the other thing that the Pharisees did is they separated the clergy from the laity. They separated the professionals from the layman all the professionals do the work now. In our terms, what does this mean? It's the pastor and the staff and everybody else. And so we have this view now that's like the pastor and the staff can do it. What's the church gonna do for this pastor? In other words, what are you gonna do for this pastor? Last time I checked, I was not the church. We're the church. I told someone this morning, I'm just doing my job. This is my part. What's your part? My part ain't any better. I'm not the head of the church. You know that? The Bible says that Jesus is the head of the church. I just I'm like a finger, that's all I am. You can be another finger too. We're all part of this body. So the Pharisees, they they started to separate separate clergy from ladies so that so that people just just went to a thing like church. As opposed to being a minister, but you're a minister, you're called into ministry. You don't need to stand on this stage. You don't have to have the title pastor to be called in a ministry. When you go to work, that is your mission field. When you're on the job, that is your mission field. When you're in the shop, you're a minister there. When you're in the line, you're a minister there. So what about this Herod guy? Uh, What is the yeast of Herod? Herod and the Pharisee had almost nothing in common. Herod was a a brutal tyrant. He was an incredibly cruel leader um he would basically crush any opposition he had two of his wives killed that was his first problem he had two wives he had them killed because he suspected them that they were plotting against him he had he had three of his sons killed as well and a mother-in-law like that's how anyone that opposed herod he used power and domination to, to come upon. And that's, that's really the thing that becomes like yeast to us, is that idea of power and domination. It's you get hit, you hit back. You use all your time and your resources and your energy to gain and to succeed and to dominate your corner of the world. Herod, When Herod caught wind that a Messiah was being born, that a king was being born, he had all baby boys killed that were of that age. Because for him it was power. But you look at Jesus, Jesus didn't come to dominate. He didn't come to have military rule and reign. Jesus came to serve. His domination was sacrifice. His power was in servitude. Jesus said, you want to be great? You want to gain? You want to succeed? You want to dominate your corner of the world? Serve. He says this. He says, because the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for the many. God himself came And lowered himself into this humble position to serve others. What do we do? Man, we dominate. We rule. You say, well, I'm not like Herod. Pastor, I'm not like Herod. I thank God I'm not like Herod. I don't kill my spouse. Good. good. (laughs) It's a good thing. But let me ask you this. Have you ever used fear as a way of disciplining your children? Parents. Parents don't you do that again or this. I, can I just say, I say this because I did that probably like 40 times this week. I'm just completely honest. I'm preparing this message and I'm thinking about that. And, then I, and it comes out my mouth and I'm like, Lord, there's the yeast of Herod right there. And I feel shame. Or have you ever wanted to win an argument with a family member? Oh, can't let them win. I will not apologize until they apologize first. East of Herod, it's the power, it's the domination. Or what about in your workplace? Do you ever get comp- competitive at work? Do you, have, do you struggle celebrating the successes of others? Right? How about criticizing and gossiping about someone? Instead of honoring, you say, well, they're not, they're not honorable. You're comparing again. Well, they're not, they're not worthy. Do you know why we honor someone? Let me tell you this i heard this once and it was just gold and it stuck with me we honor people not because they're worthy of it or not but because we're honorable people am i going to be like the pharisees who puffed up themselves and had a low view of others who separated themselves from everyone else am i going to be like herod who ruled with power and domination and did whatever he could to to see his own success or am i going to follow the model Of Jesus, who came and served. I heard someone say that the yeast of the Pharisees and the yeast of Herod are still at work today. See, the yeast of Pharisees and the yeast of Herod, or sorry, Pharisees and Herod are part of what led Jesus to the cross, killed Jesus. And so the yeast of the Pharisees and the yeast of Herod is still at work today in killing the movement of Jesus in your life. That idea of self, that idea of separate, that idea of power, it's killing the move of Jesus in your heart. It's killing your character. It's killing your faith. It's ruining relationships around you when you were called to be salt and a light. So what do we do? Be careful. Watch out. And mix into your bread a different kind of yeast servitude, humility. Practically speaking, what can you do, number one, is you can take inventory for your sins. Just take a look at your life and pray. We talked about this a couple weeks ago in their dangerous prayer series. Pray, God, search me and reveal to me, expose my sin. What's in me? What yeast is in me? What pharisaical attitude, what, what, what mindset, what religious view? What tendency is in me? Where's my sin? Because when you begin to see the sin in yourself, it humbles you. And you begin to recognize, oh, I'm not better than anybody else. Second thing we can do is you can serve somebody. Serve. Serving has a way of recognizing our position. And you know what I would encourage you to do? Take the job nobody else wants to do. Regardless of where it is. It could be here, it could be in your workplace, it could be at your home. When there's a job that comes up and you're like, oh, I'm definitely not doing that one. Take that one. Serve. Because that's what Jesus came to do. He humbled himself and he served. And what I want to do today is I want to end with communion. If you are a follower of Jesus and you're participating in communion today, it's for the family of God. We you would have grabbed one of these. I want to take communion because remembering that Jesus died on the cross for our sins is a good way of remembering that we're not better than anybody. So what you can do is I hear some of you already doing, you take that really clear part, not the purple part, but the clear part, and you wanna pull the clear part back. And that's gonna give you access to the wafer there that's on top. So this wafer, Jesus told us in the scriptures that this wafer represents his body that was given, the sacrifice he made, right? This is his power. This is his dominance. We, you know, we are not worthy of the sacrifice of Jesus, but Jesus has a pretty high view of us because he loved us enough to say, yeah, you're not worthy, but I'm gonna, make your, I'm gonna take your place. And so this represents the body that was given, his body that was given. He says, whenever you take this, whenever you do this, do this in remembrance of me. So if you're here today, you got a wafer in hand. We're gonna remember the sacrifice Jesus made. Let's take and let's eat together. And then Jesus took the cup. So you're gonna take that purple part now or tab and you're gonna pull that back and it's gonna give you access to the juice there. Jesus sitting down with the disciples in the last supper before he would sacrifice himself on the cross, said, this is my blood that's shed for you. This is my life for your life. The Life forces in the blood. This is him saying, all that stuff I cover. If you believe in me, if you confess your sin, that pride, your high view of self, the things that you do, this has covered it, and so you may see yourself as someone that's that's good. And Jesus is saying, "No, this was spilled for you. This was given for you." And so we take this, we drink this, and as we do that, we remember the sacrifice He made. It's a it's a cognitive effort of making of of of, of remembering the sacrifice that Jesus made. So let's take and let's drink together. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we just thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to sacrifice for our sins. We remember what you did. We remember that our sins sent you to the cross. God, we remember that while we were still in our sin, dead to sin, you died for us. That the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And so we just praise you and we thank you and I pray in the name of Jesus, would you help us to recognize where there is yeast of the Pharisees Herod in our lives, the small things that can get in us and spread and grow and, and, in fact, and, and infect our character and our faith, God, and our relationship with you. Help us to see it, God. Instead of looking at the sins in others, help us to see what exists in us and the brokenness in us so that we can humble ourselves before the cross and we can come before you, God, just with such gratitude like that tax collector. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your blood that was shed. Help us to see God, the things in us that are like Herod, that power and dominant mindset. And maybe it's not as large as Herod, God, but like yeast, it's small and it grows and it spreads if we're not careful. So help us to be careful We thank you for the sacrifice you made for that. We praise you and we bless you. Help us to take your position and your nature as a humble servant. We love you, Jesus. We give you glory and we give you honor. In Jesus' name, amen. So Jesus said in a quick moment, To these disciples, he says, be careful and watch out. So my first thing for you today as you leave is be careful and watch out because it's small. It's small, but it spreads. It's small, but it spreads. It may not seem like a big deal, but it's a big deal because it grows. Like yeast. Be careful and watch out. Listen, if you're here today and you're like, hey, I'm just looking for my next journey my next step in faith or you're online go to weareparkway.com slash next steps maybe for you that's a commitment to jesus you're going to commit to following jesus as lord and savior maybe for you that's baptism maybe you need to join a life group maybe you need to get involved on the dream team and serve right find out your next step regardless of whether you're new or you've been here since the onset of this church. Listen, bless you guys this week. I'm praying that good kind of yeast gets into your heart and gets into your mind and gets into your life, and that is humility and servitude. God bless you. We'll see you next time. Thank you so much for listening. We hope that this message brought you closer with Jesus and gave you a better understanding of your walk with him today. If you would like to know more about who we are as a church, you can visit our website, weareparkway.com. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram at parkway.church.